Uh, I just want to give thanks to the Lord. And Tiffany, if you don't have it, you don't need to look at it. All you need to know is one phrase, for His loving kindness is everlasting. And uh, I'll, I'll read the first phrase. You can read the second phrase. And then I'll, I'll give thanks to the Lord. And then um, I'll deliver my message I'd planned. Psalm 36 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To Him who alone does great wonders. To Him who made the heavens with skill. To Him who spreads out the earth above the waters. To Him who made the great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him who smote Egypt, the the Egyptians and their firstborn. And brought Israel out from their midst. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who smote great kings. And slew mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. Even a heritage to Israel, his servant. Who remembered us in our low estate. And has rescued us from our adversaries. Who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Just have you bow your head. And uh, you know this, this theme, the loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting. Indeed, this is a, um, a common phrase throughout the Psalms. It might even be a, a theme of all the Psalms that the loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting. Oh, it may look sometimes when it's not there in our times of distress and difficulty, but His loving kindness pervades all through history, throughout all time. So just have you been now, just just reflect upon just the, the loving kindness of the Lord, how everlasting it is in providing uh, for us as a church and providing for you in, in ways this, this past year. This is a time of rejoicing. So just even silently now, just rejoice before the Lord. Father, we thank You, O Lord, for Your loving kindness. That is Your covenantal love. When when You love, it's not because You find things lovely in us, God, but it's You determined to love as You chose Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans, out of an idol-making family. 
and you chose to love him and as a, have extended your loving kindness to him for many, many generations to bring us the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And, and you've been faithful to us who believe and trust in him. And Father, we are, we are thankful for that. I'm thankful for the ways that you, uh, you provide. Father, for you are, are a good God who provides much for us. And you provided for us much at church, and today is a day in which we rejoice in that. Um, God, I, I thank you for the ways that we make very little pleas. We beg very little, we talk very little, and yet, um, God, I was astonished at the, the percentage of families who give here, um, God, which is way above a, a national average. Um, I thank you for that, of the, of the giving hearts here. And, and Father, would pray that that would be our hearts, that to the extent that we can, and I know some are, are without job or have uh, underemployment or face some difficulties and it's hard for them to give, I still pray that they would give a little what they can. And God determined that if you prosper much, that they would give more and more. Um, God, not, not necessarily even giving to us at church, but even giving beyond. I'm, I'm excited about these these missions, efforts, um, whether it's the, the children's home in Siliguri, which Lord willing I'll be able to see in October when I travel over there with leadership resources to teach right there in Siliguri, right where um, First Love is building this children's home. And Lord, would pray that just we might connect people with them, um, that you might support and help these kids. Father, I'm... I'm I'm thrilled with um, what Leadership Resource is doing in training the pastors. How uh, We've been freed up to be able to give to them as we're pledging $5,000 each year just to help Leadership Resources to know that they have funds coming in to help that effort in um, India. And I, I pray especially for these pastors who will meet there, um, God, who, who come from areas like Bhutan and Bangladesh and um, Myanmar. God, places where I, I couldn't go as an American and yet they can come to India and we can speak to them and teach them and they can take the Word of God to other places and edify them and encourage them and strengthen them in the ministry. Uh, we are thankful for that. Uh, God, I thank you for Rob Provost and the global initiative that he has. He was here with us last week. I pray you'd bless him and his ministries. Uh, I think also of the young people who have gone out, whether it's Alyssa Kraus or Becca Reed and Carissa um, who went to Mexico uh, this past year. And even Becca, she will go soon to Chicago just to be stretched, uh, seeing inner city life. I pray that she might be a blessing there. Um, God, I pray that in all this ministry and missions to the world that we might not miss even our own neighborhoods. I pray for the neighborhood here around the church. I pray you'd give us a greater heart for that. I pray you'd give us greater open doors. As you have given us open doors, I pray that we would... Uh, God, walk through them and that you would broaden that door, that you would open eyes to the gospel, which is being uh, proclaimed uh, to the kids and brought home and contact maybe the parents. I pray that you give more kids interested and more parents. And I, I just know the distress of many of the parents in the homes and would pray you'd give us a heart for them. Um, Father, I, I just think of all of us. We have neighbors. We have friends, who have people who don't know Jesus. Uh, I pray we might not be satisfied with just giving money to missions so that other people do it. God, but that we would be actively engaged in communicating with those who we know who are without Christ. 
Um, God, help us to be outreaching people. I, I think even if Tom Wetak going with anyone who wants to go, I think it's this Saturday uh, to the Metro Center to hand out tracts. God, we pray you'd bless that effort. Uh, thank you for the many doors that he has placed literature on. Um, and, and would pray, Lord, that you might, God, by your grace, give us a greater heart for those um, outside of this church who need Jesus. Uh, thank you for Tom Harkis who came and ministered among us and really encouraged us to stir our hearts, God, to reach out to those we, who are without Jesus. And uh, a seven for heaven list. God, I know that we have one at our house and we, we pray for these people often. And would pray that each family here would be found praying, um, God, longing for you to break through uh, to people without Christ. God, show them the glories of, of Jesus and open eyes and, and open ears. God, move with your wind into the hearts of people that they, they would come to, come to saving faith in Jesus. So God, use us, we pray. And, and God, all that we have is yours anyway. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. And uh, the question really is how much should we keep for ourselves? And we keep enough to keep things going and would pray that you would uh, abound in the ministry as we can give and serve and bless others. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I invite you to open your Bibles to um, Matthew chapter 28. Um, in our exposition of Mark, we come to Mark chapter 13 as we've walked through there verse by verse. And um, we've come to the section that talks about the abomination of desolation. And I felt like today would not really be a good time to talk about the abomination of desolation just in light of thanking the Lord for His, His great goodness to us. Um, that's for sure. Um, and so what, what I want to do is really speak to you of various various things that have come into my mind in recent months, weeks, and even a comment probably about six months ago that I, that I heard that's uh, more kind of burning in my heart. I just want to share them with you um, as we'll be taking kind of launching from Matthew 28. My, my message this morning isn't going to be so expository. It's going to be more my heart to your heart about um, just desiring to see us be in this game. Uh, of Christianity, of really following Jesus. Well, I want you to take you away to a summertime, if you will. Uh, imagine it's warm outside. <laughs> that should be a pleasant thought for many of us, right? <laughs> it's warm outside, right, Carl? You, you, you love the warmth, right? Uh, imagine, right, a beautiful day, 80 degrees, and uh, we're all there together. We've been there at camp, okay? And um, we've, we've had fun, so whatever fun for you is, whether that's a day on the beach, playing in the lake, whether it's a long hike in the woods, or whether it's a game of softball or, or badminton um, or tennis. Somehow we, we've had our game, a day out there, we've come back, and, and uh, we've had a big barbecue with corn on the cob, and we're, our stomachs are, are filled and satisfied, and now it's the evening with just a, a slight bit of chill in the air, maybe 60 degrees out. Uh, so maybe a long sleeve shirt might be more comfortable outside. And then the sun is set. And imagine, if you will, this campfire crackling and, and burning bright. And, and the kids have enjoyed their s'mores. I know, Nathan, you can even taste the s'mores you've had on your lips. No, you don't like s'mores. Who does? Who likes s'mores? Okay, Ruthie, I know your sister likes s'mores. Okay, so you've had your s'mores and we're, 
we're sitting there, and so so picture Ryan Brown. He he pulls out his guitar, right? And he, he we're sitting there at the um, you know I'm not even on anyway. That's my phone. We are are sitting there, and uh, Ryan pulls out his guitar. And what would be an appropriate song to sing? Okay, this is for you guys living in the '70s. Okay, in the '80s, what would be a song to sing? Huh? That's not the one I was thinking of. I'm thinking of another song. Yeah, let's sing it if you know it. So some of you guys are like, like totally clueless, all right? But see how far this cultural phenomena has gone, right? It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around can warm up to its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you spread your love to everyone. You want to pass it on. (laughs) You all didn't have the same privilege that I had, okay? I had uh, saw some of you singing and uh, we're like, oh, I'm, I'm remembering this. And some of you are like. <laughs> and I can tell those who grew up in church, those who grew up going to camp and those who didn't. All right. So some of you, that was a new song for some of us. It really swept through. It was written in 1969 by Kurt Kaiser. Uh, I think it's schmaltzy. OK, I think I've sang it. One too, I sang it way too many times, okay? Um, however, the message is a good one. It just takes a spark to get a fire going, and soon all those around will warm up to its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, right, you're the spark, and, and you want it to spread to everybody. You spread the love to everyone you want to pass it on. The, the second stanza goes like this. What a wondrous time is spring when all the trees are budding. The birds begin to sing. The flowers start their blooming. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you want to sing. It's fresh like spring and you want to pass it on. Or the last stanza says, I wish for you, my friend, this happiness that I have found. You can depend on Him. It matters not where you're bound. I'll shout it from the mountaintop. I want the world to know. The Lord of love has come to me. I want to pass it on. And the the hymn just, just speaks about one who's experienced the love of God and the gospel of Jesus, Him dying for us on the cross. And if you've experienced it, then passing it on and, and spreading it to other people. And I just say that, that that's, that's the message of Christianity, right? When you've come to know Jesus Christ, you won't be able to keep it in. The, the good news is that you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're, you're no longer condemned before God. It, it, when that has gripped your soul, you will want the world to know that. And you will want to pass it on. My title of my message this morning is Pass It On. It is the heart of the early church disciples. Maybe remember Peter and John when they were arrested for preaching to the people about Jesus. They're brought before the religious authorities, commanded not to speak or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. Don't speak or teach anymore in this man's name. And Peter and John said this, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. It says, for us, 
We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We just we can't stop. Even under threat of punishment. And, and indeed, that's what happened. Their experience with Jesus was so strong, they, they couldn't keep it in. A short time later, they're arrested for preaching again. And they said, we told you not to preach, but you're preaching. And so they flogged them. They took whips out and they whipped these people and they scolded them again and commanded them not to speak any more in the name of Jesus. Did it silence them? No, because what, what, what they had experienced just had to get out. Instead, we read in Acts 5.42 that every day in the temple from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus is the Christ. See, that's how it works when you're saved. When you, when you come to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord in every way. When you come to believe in the Lord, you will pass it on. You will. I remember being told one time about, uh, well, if I believe, do I need to be a preacher? Right? I mean, if you believe in Jesus, do you have to be a preacher? Well, the answer is yes, but it's not, it's not really that. Okay? But when you come to believe that the God of the universe loves you and that Jesus bore your sins upon the cross, and when you believe that your transgressions are completely forgiven, and when you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, nothing will stop you from speaking and talking with others. Because the impact upon your life will be so great you can't be quiet. If it's real, it will come out. So, if it's not coming out, Maybe it's not real in your life. Because when it's in there, it's going to come out. Now, it doesn't mean everybody who's saved and converted needs to pull out a soapbox and stand on the street and preach in the public square to everyone who comes by. That's a matter of gifting and calling. But it does mean that there will be a heart's desire in you to make known what you have found in Jesus. Knowing that that is the best thing for other people Because when we believe, we'll speak. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.13, it is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. And Paul says this, we also believe, therefore we also speak. Catch his logic there. Do you see his reasoning? We believe, therefore we also speak. Speaking is the necessary consequence of believing. And maybe there'll be a time when you're persecuted for your faith. And your response will demonstrate that you, you answer to a higher calling. That you're, you're not afraid. You want to walk in a righteous way and people will persecute you. That, that's okay. Those around you might be confused and they might ask you, what, what's, what's going on in your life? And, and you need to be prepared to speak because Peter says this, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. In other words, when you're walking righteously and people are intimidating you, don't fear, but... Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So be ready. I mean, Paul tells us all, Peter tells us all to be ready for the time we have to speak. And this is the heart of my message this morning. I want all of you to believe. I want you all then to speak. I want you to get it in your life. And then I want you to share it. That's what Jesus is calling us to. If you look there at Matthew chapter 28, the last three verses. It's the final message Jesus told His disciples here upon the earth. 
So their main purpose in the world, their main goal and vision for us as a church, here it is, to make disciples. And he says this, Jesus, verse 18, came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you to see here just how extensive Jesus' words are. The word all is mentioned four times in these three verses. First, we see it there in verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's the foundation of our mission. We go as one backed by the authority of the king. We don't go as to make disciples because something we thought was a good idea or would be a good strategic initiative. We're going because this order comes from the top. It comes from Jesus Himself. It comes from God who's given all authority to Him. He is the authority. We merely follow His orders. Second all is seen there in verse 19. Make disciples of all the nations. This defines our mission field. It's broad. In fact, it has no bounds. Jesus calls us to go everywhere on the planet with a message of the Gospel. There isn't a single soul alive which you can say, nope, nope, not that one. Everybody except that one. No, it's of all the nations. It's all people in all the nations. We need to make disciples of all of them. Whether it's your neighbor next door or the animist in Africa, such as a mission field. Third all. Comes here in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is the, the content of our call. Now, of course, this probably primarily has reference to the Gospels and the, the things that Jesus spoke and taught, but Jesus spoke and taught in harmony with the Old Testament. So it has to do with all the Old Testament and even He promises of further revelation in John 14 and 16. So you can extend this to the entirety of the Bible. That means that we need to go, we need to teach people of what the Bible says. That is our armed tool. We need to teach the entire counsel of God. There isn't anything in the Word of God that's not worthy not to spread. Fourth, the fourth all. It's not really all, but it's always. It's a form of that. Just a, a duration of time is seen in verse 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's the promise that Jesus said that He'll be with us in this work. When we go out to make disciples, we're not alone. God is guiding us, directing us, strengthening us, encouraging us. And I just say all oh, this, oh, let us rest upon that promise of God being with us. So what, what is our mission? What, what, what do we need to do? Well, it's right there in verse 19. We need to make disciples. This is the, the key verb of this whole section. You need to make disciples. We have, have three participles modifying it. Going, baptizing, and teaching. Right? You, you go and you win the lost. You win them to Christ. That's how you make disciples. By going. Right? Biblical Christianity is not a come and see religion. It's a go and tell religion. The Old Testament was more come and see. Look at all the wonderful things in Israel. But now, Jesus, it's a go and tell mission. This is a go. Also, baptize upon people's conversion. You baptize them in water. It's a symbol of their cleansing, right? Wash free. I think this is what it says. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a, a symbol of... Uh, a sign that they are saved and believed and washed, sanctified, purified of their sins. 
And then thirdly, what you do, you, you teach them what it means to be a disciple by teaching them everything that I have commanded. Or to couch it in terms of my message this morning, what we are called to do is pass it on. God has given us a deposit. We are to take that deposit and pass it on. Now, certainly this command was given to the 11 disciples. You can see there in verse 16 that it's the 11 who are there. That is the 12 minus Judas who betrayed Jesus and hanged himself. But this responsibility was soon spread beyond just the 12, beyond these 11, because they in and of themselves, there's no way that they could carry out this command to make disciples of all the nations. Soon they would convert others who would convert others who would convert others and then the, the gospel would spread that's the only way for them to take the gospel to the nations. That's the heart of, of uh, Paul's words to Timothy. Some of the last words he said was, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The idea is that Timothy was to take what Paul said, right? It's been trusted to him, and he's entrusted to other people who will entrust it then to other people. There are four generations there in mind. That's what he wants. Impart your words to those who will be able to, to pass it on. And really, this is the aim and goal of every church is to make disciple makers. Right? We want to make disciples, but we also want to be disciple makers because we want to take what God has said to us and pass it on just like those first converts did. And as it spread on. We want to be a body of disciples, do the work of making disciples. Now, each and every one is going to be engaged in a little bit different way in that task. Some are going to be spreading and some are going to be supporting and some are be encouraging and some are going to be praying. But the whole process, we need to be about trying to do what we can to, um, to make disciples. In the book of Ephesians, Paul describes the church. He described it with these words, familiar words. I'm going to read from Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Paul said this, He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be like children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into Him and who is the head, even Christ. And then here's how the whole body fits together. Verse 16. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And what Paul is saying is that every, everybody's got a little bit different role in what's going on in the body to build it up. I mean, he used the analogy of 1 Corinthians 12 about some being an ear and some being an eye and some being a hand and some being a foot. They're all playing a little bit of a different role. And yet all need to be focused on encouraging one another and focused on making disciple makers is what we need to be doing as a church. Not much this has to do with giftedness. But different people are gifted with different ways, are able to do different things. Um, I'm a pastor of the church. Okay, which puts on a various level of gifting, but much has to do with the fact that I've been freed up to serve full time. I thank you for the finances you've given so as to support us as a family so that we can give ourselves to you and give ourselves to others. God is gracious in supplying all our needs for that, and we do rejoice. 
Uh, Phil and Darren are fellow pastors. Um, elders, you might call us pastors and elders are all the same thing, shepherds. And they have full-time jobs, though, and they give to the church they can. However, I'm pleased to make known today, though, that uh, Phil's business has been doing well. And he is getting closer to retirement age. And he, he uh, how do you say this? Um, he made the mistake of reading this little thing by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Retirement. Okay? And uh, which basically says when you retire, don't retire to go collect shells on the seashore in Florida, but rather retire doing something for the Lord. And so, Lord willing, what, 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 what Phil is doing is... is and he didn't want to announce this because he, he wanted me to announce this. But he's, he's backing away from his business a little bit, hopefully going half-time at the business and then wanting to give his other half-time to the church. Amen? Great thing, huh? Now, it's, it's kind of a tenuous thing because if things at business don't go so well, he might have to suck back into that. Um, but if so, and the greatest part is his salary. He's just giving his time. Totally. Um, I'm so thrilled with that. I've told Phil um, that I, just even doing this, and we'll see, you just pray for the business to abound, okay? That's what I pray for. Pray that things just abound, and so that business just kind of goes, and he can, he can really serve you all. Church, there's a lot of things that he's looking to help doing, one of this remodeling project, maybe stepping in there and doing some of that stuff. He's got some other projects I'm just not getting to that uh, hopefully he can get to. He's going to try to do some visitation, try to do some encouraging building, just a lot of things, preaching on occasion. Um, but it's predicated upon how well his business booms, so just, just say that it's unbelievable. That's, that's God's math, right? That's how it works, right? You, you give, and God just abundantly, abundantly gives beyond what you can think. Um, and so Phil is doing that, and I've told Phil on, on very many occasions, I said, you know, Phil... You never know what kind of fruit this sort of decision will, will make in your life. Um, and maybe it'll make an impact on one of the eight-year-olds or ten-year-olds here in church when they are of retirement age or when they're close to it or when they are 50 and, and God has abundantly provided everything for them. Maybe they will have a heart to go and to give the rest of their time either missions, go in the mission field or a pastor to local church. And so you may be long gone, Phil, and yet it may bear in three or four of the kids here doing that same thing. That's what I'm hoping for. So, But that's giftedness, and that's where, where we are. So that's Phil and Darren. Um, Ray's a deacon. He puts in countless hours doing a lot physically for the church. We are, are grateful for that. Ryan is gifted in music, and so he leads along with... Maggie and Yvonne and SR and, and the others. We have countless ladies who help and serve uh, the church according to their gifting. It's food stuff, whether it's uh, Nursery Children's Church, Nancy and Toby do a great job at that. In, in one way or another, listen, we all build up the body. And I'm, I'm thankful for all the work that, that all of you do. Much of it's behind, behind the scenes that I don't know anything about what's going on. But I, I can say with the Apostle Paul... I give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in my prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And and I'm thankful for all the ways that you serve here in this body. But my message this morning is a bit of a challenge for you to, to maybe look out. 
I mean, you do a great job here serving and we encourage you to do that. But even look out to pass on the process of making disciples. It comes right here from Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples. Now, we don't normally use this word disciple very much unless we refer to Jesus' disciples, which are the twelve, we think. But there were more than twelve disciples. In fact, anyone who followed Jesus was rightly called a disciple. And when it comes to the New Testament, particularly the book of Acts, a disciple is a, is a common term that we use for Christians. It just means one who follows Jesus. Um, I have some verses here. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now at the time when the disciples were increasing in number, the complaint arose about the widows were being neglected. Right? The, the disciples, the Christians, the believers. And so the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and told them about the problem. Or when Paul was persecuting Christians, Luke writes how he was breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, the followers of Jesus, the Christians, if you will. And then when he repented of his sin and believed in Christ, those in Jerusalem were fearful. This is how Luke records it. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. You see, see the word disciple just means to make believers, make Christians. And it wasn't until several years later... Acts 11, verse 26 says in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians, followers of Christ. But that's what a disciple is. It's a follower of Jesus. The, the word disciple, mathetio, mathetes, just means a learner, one who, who learns. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Mathetio, be discipled from me. Right? Learn. That's all that being a disciple is. It's a, it's a learner. And that's what we are called to do as a church. We are called to make learners of Jesus. And, and my, my urging to you all is to be engaged in that process at one level or another. And I want to encourage you um, just to let the Word of God be central in that aspect. So, see people as not merely people to serve physically, though serve them, but see them as people to help input into their lives spiritually as well. Because if we're making disciples, all of us ought to be about that process in one way or another. And some of the burden from my message here this morning comes from an interview I heard from Francis Chan. He was a founding pastor of uh, Cornerstone Church in Simi Valley, a church that grew to several thousand, wrote several great books, Crazy Love, Forgotten God. A few years ago, he stepped down from his church to pursue other avenues of ministry, and now he spends his time in inner city San Francisco, um, really walking among the riffraff, if you will, um, sharing the gospel with them. He, he says that he is uh, spending lots of time with unbelievers, more time with unbelievers than with believers. When being a pastor of a big church, that was totally impossible. But now he's doing that and he's learning many things. And as he's into these people whose, whose lives are, are, are in peril, they're messed up, they're on drugs. And uh, he said that the reality is, he says, many of these people used to be in church, but they're not anymore. And... Uh, he said this. He said, the reality is that many of these people never experienced God. When they came to church, they never experienced God. Um, they became bored with religion. Like religion has nothing to offer them. And, and here's what Francis Chan pinned down one reason. He said this. He said the, the, one of the reasons, and this probably isn't the core reason, but it's, it's kind of driving him right now. It's that they weren't ever encouraged and challenged to make disciples. 
He said this, it's when you're on the front line making disciples that you experience God. It's when you experience Jesus. Jesus said, I will be with you always. Right here, Matthew 28, verse 20. But he said that in the context of making disciples. You know, we want to experience him in the sanctuary, Francis Chan says, and, and wherever else, and, and that will happen, and we do experience God there. But talk about real crazy supernatural God coming through. It says you're out making disciples. His point was this, right? When you're engaged in the process uh, of bringing the gospel to unsafe people, when you're, when you're in the process of, of seeing people grow in their faith, when you're, when you're in the process of, of seeing people transformed by the power of the Word of God, Jesus says this, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's when you experience the presence of God. You experience it lots of other times, but here in the context is when especially you experience that. Because that, that's what God wants to do. It's what Jesus wants to do in His church, right? Is to make disciples. And, and, and when we're doing that, we need help. And Jesus says, I'm going to be right with you and helping you through this whole deal. I know it's my experience. The thing that excites me most is to see people come to faith in Christ through my words. The, the thing that excites me most is seeing people grow in their relationship in Christ through my efforts. That, that stirs my heart. Like, that, in fact, <laughs> that's why I'm a pastor. <laughs> so I get to see it firsthand because that's the thing that, that, uh, that captivates me, that stirs me. I want to see people bud in their faith and grow in their faith and, and abound in their faith. And I see the nearness of Christ in that work with me. And I do believe that there's that same feeling in every single one of you who know Christ. Is there not? Don't you love to see people come to faith? Our baptism service we had this past summer, wasn't that great service? Right? Don't you love to see people grow? Wouldn't you want to be used of God to, to, to grow somebody in their faith? Maybe you get holy contact with someone who's a new Christian. Right? You say, oh, they don't know anything. Don't you just like, that would be a great opportunity to spend some time with them, to, to take them to the table of contents in the Bible and say, okay, well, let, Matthew, I'm sorry, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now that's, What's called the law. And you just teach people just through the Bible. Have you ever done that before? I've had the privilege of doing that on many occasions. And that, that's, like, that's like my favorite Bible study ever. When you start at the table of contents, nobody knows nothing. Try to get a hold of some of those people. And, and see the thrill that it's going to be in, in your heart. And I just say this, my, my message this morning, pass it on. I'm just going to say, go for it. Find people in your life who you can help spiritually and start helping them. That, that can be in the church. That can be outside of the church. There can be other Christians outside the church. It can just, just be whatever you're taking in, right? Get it out to other people. All right, all right, pass it on. And I know firsthand of what giving out the Word teaches me. I have the blessing of preaching each week. I'm accountable each and every week to stand up here and to seek to bring some kind of message to you that will bless you. And that, that puts a lot of pressure on me to just week by week be walking with the Lord and week by week to, to be seeking Him and to be thinking, okay, what on Sunday, what, what am I going to share about? What am I going to preach about? I mean, I'm going to leave this place thinking about next Sunday. It's the, it's, the, it's the cloud that never leaves me. 
And I say I'm thankful to the Lord that I have that cloud because I have that uh, responsibility. I have that opportunity because it helps keep me going. Phil Gusky has told me on a number of occasions how preaching at the nursing home does the same thing. Right? You know if you're going to preach on Sunday how much more you're in the Word this week in preparing for that. Because when you give out, it, it, it forces you to, to take in because you've got to stand and have something to say. And I know there's several men who have taken up the challenge to go and minister the residents at Crimson Ridge. In fact, we have two families there now, the, the Krauses and the Jensens. Andy is speaking about the wrath of God, the mercy of God. Chris Jensen is kind of looking at it, checking it out. He's going to be there in another month. And just I know what it's going to do in both those men's lives. Right? I talked to Andy today and I said, you know what, Andy? I, I don't even know what your week was like, but I do know this. I do know that you had a great time in the Word this week. Knowing you've got to speak today. And there's something when you're giving it out, how you feel desperate and you've got to want to take it in. And I'm just going to... I'm just encouraging you today to give it out because I know that's going to create a vacuum where you're going to have to say, I've got to get it in somehow. I've got to get it in. So do that. I want to encourage you that to be engaged in the discipleship process. So I ask you, are you engaged in the discipleship process? Engaged. That can be at different levels. That can be at just the receiving level to say, you know what, Steve, I don't know nothing. I, I need help. Have you found that help in somebody to maybe meet with a little bit to help you to know and to grow? Or, or, or maybe it could be that you know enough, you should be imparting to other people. And uh, I mean, you've got time constraints, you've got family, you've got working job. I'm not, I'm not trying to overburden that all of us have to disciple the world, but I'm just saying this. If, if you... Find some people that you can input in and, and uh, have an impact in their life. Just find those people. Now, it, it can be your family. Husbands, it could be your wives. It could be your children. Okay? You should be about doing that. But, and, I, and, I, and I encourage that and foster that. But I would encourage you even to go, to go beyond that. Could this be one of the main reasons why many children who grew up in church, when they leave church, abandon the church? Because they never really were given opportunity to pour out or to serve in the church somehow? Um, parents, think about what it would do if you would help your children maybe teach a children's church. There'd be a great need. There's a, there's a burden there. We're lacking teachers. We would love that. And think about how it would help your teenager to think, okay, I... I've learned so much, I've got to like take this in and then to give it out to the kids in whatever way possible or, or maybe come in kids club and maybe help teach some of that and help with the kids there. Um, but give your kids avenue. Now also, get your kids serving in the church, but if they're, my message today is more on discipleship, more on spiritually giving out or are your kids doing things? They, you know, we... We didn't do it this year, but we constantly in Christmas time go around the neighborhood and and uh, give treats to our neighbors and wishing them. That's an outreach that's trying to just show love to them. We've gone around with our, our kids door to door trying to have a five day club. Do, do they see those things? Do, are you engaging them in your outreach to your community or where they are? And it might be, as Francis Chan says, maybe they're not on the front line. Maybe they just sit back and they think that church is all about them and they get bored because church isn't anything. And there are too many people I'm burdened by who just come to church, want to have this feeling, get this feeling, and then go, but they don't have any responsibility, they don't have any pressure, they don't have any push, they don't have any 
anything to give out to create a vacuum in them that they need to depend upon the Lord. And I really want to push you to do that. In fact, I know of one person who uh, was not a Christian, was asked to lead a Bible study one time. And it was the very means of looking at the Bible and reading the Bible and studying, preparing for this Bible study that became the means of his conversion. Why? It's because he got to give out and he found out he didn't have anything in there. And so I want you to pass it on and create this vacuum in there so that you've got to have the Lord come and be with you and, and fill it up. And could it be that people fall away from Christ and from the church because they're not passing it on? They're, they're, they're just taking all this stuff in, right? They're, they're consumers. They come to church. Oh, this church, if it feeds, oh, that's okay. I'll, I'll, that church helps me. I'll go there. Oh, stop helping me now. Oh, this church will help me. And they just become consumers. You know what they are? They're stagnant pools that, that, that learn to... That, that come to be stenchful because there's no outflow, right? The Dead Sea in Jerusalem, it, uh, it's, it's dead. Nothing lives in there because there's no outflow. And so with Christians, get it out. What comes in, let's take it out and push it out, pass it on. And I just encourage you, if you're in a state where you can disciple someone, disciple someone. If you need discipling, ask someone and, and help. Now, I know much of this happens at Rock Valley Bible Church, right? We have a web of relationships that far beyond even what I know. Okay? There are a handful of groups that meet together that encourage each other. I know some men's groups. I know some ladies' groups that get together, men with men, women with men, women, meeting throughout the week, sort of groups that's not advertised, just kind of relationship that built up. And they say, hey, how about we meet together and we study this? Or, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Um, and that's, that's great. And I want to foster that. And in fact, that's my message this morning. I want to foster that and encourage that. You know, in China, the Christians in China, the Chinese government is against um, big gatherings. That's primarily what they're scared of. So the persecution that comes to church comes upon the big gatherings of church. But from what I've heard, mostly the communist government, as long as you're meeting in small pockets here and there, uh, the, at least this has been historically, the, the communist government is not so against that. They'll let you do that. And so the church basically is like spaghetti. And uh, what I've heard from one man who was over there is that, that whatever, these ten group of people meet here, but three of them come and they meet here on Thursday nights. And this group here was a Wednesday night, but Tuesday night some of them are coming here and some of these people are going here and these people are going here and some of them crossbreed. And what are they doing? They're just looking for ways in which to be discipled, to build up, to disciple, to spread out. And the church in China looks like spaghetti. Can't be organized out like, like we have uh, and I know that's what's happening at Rock Valley Bible Church. And I'm thrilled with the spaghetti that's happening at Rock Valley Bible Church. But I, I would just encourage you to, to think about discipleship, not as the official program that the pastor, the CEO of the church says, OK, here's our discipleship program. We're going to read through this book. We're going to meet this time. And after this classroom settings, then you're going to go out and you're going to be discipled. Now I'm done. No, it's much more organic than that. We've, all of us have a lot to teach each other. And we can teach each other through the, the Scripture. And there's nothing wrong with going through a book. In fact, I'm, I'm engaged in that right now on several different levels, on several different groups, different things I'm meeting throughout the week. But I, I want you to see as um, discipleship, it's as, as more fluid than that, more relaxed than that, more informal than that. And I just say, let's be engaged in each other's lives with an aim towards spiritually. Um, Another thing that intersected my life, uh, I just heard a, a little bit of two weeks ago. I heard a guy talking just about the, the aim of the church is to make disciples, right? Make disciple makers. And uh, one of the things he said is that what if you just merely got together with another person just to read the Bible? Just, just read the Bible with them. 
uh, novel thought, right? And uh, that, think about it, that can be as simple as you and someone else, you, you, you go to work, but you, you meet like every, every Wednesday for lunch at McDonald's, and you got a half hour there, and you sit down, and you just read the Bible for 15 minutes out loud right there at McDonald's, and then you go your way. And um, it could be just as easy as that. And here's the thing that I found about just simple Bible reading together is that it, it, it doesn't create this I'm discipling you and you're discipling me kind of mentality. Now, there are some times that mentality needs to be there, okay? Um, but there are a lot of times where it just creates a, just a mutual encouragement kind of time. So, for instance, our family, as we have um, renewed afresh this year, the... The desire just to read through the scriptures as a family together. We're taking McShane's schedule. The family's reading on the family side of McShane. And we're just reading through that out loud. And there's something where our littlest kids only get just a little bit of it. I maybe get more of it. But as we read through and lightly comment on it, there's a way where it's totally edifying to me. And it's totally edifying to my nine-year-old. Just reading the Bible together. It doesn't matter what, what level you are. SR and I then are reading through the the private star stuff of McShane together. We've been reading the Bible probably together maybe the last year and a half or so. We miss a lot of days and we get a lot of days, but I say, SR, well, when would be a good time for you? And he says, well, okay, whatever. We negotiate time. We say, okay, well, let's, 1.30, let's, let's try to just get together. And, and he comes out to my office and we just sit through and we just read together. I comment just lightly and, uh, you know, whatever, 10, 15, 20 minutes together is not, not, not rocket science. We read together, and I'm being edified and encouraged. He, to be sure, I'm discipling him, but but it, it's not like I'm domineering. I'm I'm talking all that time. We're just letting the Bible speak. It's speaking to me. It's speaking to you, and just trying to help give you some categories of what the Bible is. And I found it to be a, a great help to me, and I'm sure Sarah's found a great help to him. I found a great accountability, a great help to get in the Bible and just read it out loud. Dave Helm has written a book, I think it's called One to One or something like that, where he just encourages people to match up in pairs and just read the Bible together. Just one person with one person. Uh, Tom Harkis, you know, he was here. He said that his small groups that he had to his church are basically that. What they do is they say, we're going to read through the New Testament together. This group is and works something like this. We have four guys. We're going to get together. We're going to read through the New Testament and go. Here's Matthew. So you should read maybe a, a chapter each day. And then you get together and you find out that this guy's read Matthew 1 through 12. This guy's read Matthew 1 through 6. This guy's only got through chapter 4. Well, on that day when you get together, they start then in chapter 5. Okay, okay we're going to start here in chapter 5 and just go on. So the slowest member gets through reading it. Those who go faster read through it multiple times. It's just fine. It, and that's, that's how they do their small groups. Maybe some of those groups can form here, huh? My message is interesting this morning because it's not like I've got a big grand plan. I'm just, I'm just putting this out there for you. I heard this idea about simple Bible reading. You might even do that with those outside the church, people who aren't Christians. You say, hey, can I read the Bible with you? And perhaps they will say, yes, I will let you come and read the Bible with you. It's, it's not very difficult. Okay? Um, but if we believe that, that God's Word is what the Spirit of God uses to infect in the hearts of people then what better thing to get across to people than just, just reading the Scriptures to people? So I, I encourage you all to, uh, to pass this on. I say it, it's not difficult, but it takes some initiative. And it takes some building maybe of a relationship first. But how great would it be if every single one of us had neighbors with whom 
didn't know Christ, who we were reading the Bible with. Just go over there. It could be 15 minutes, you know. Let's say Tuesday. You know, I'm driving home from work and, you know, go, hey, let's go Tuesday. You know, and we, we just we meet there for a little bit. And then you, you come some of your home a little bit late for dinner um, because you're two doors down the street uh, on, your, on your way home. What, what a great thing that would be, right? Great outreach. Just to let God's word then do its work in the lives of God's people. And, and I just say when I've done this kind of stuff, it's thrilling to me. Um, it's encouraging to think about people just reading through the Bible. wouldn't read it unless your presence was there. Well, if the fruit of my message this morning is that um, families would be devoted again to reading the Scriptures, wonderful. If the fruit of my message this morning would be that some groups might form or, or just even some of you might say, hey, let's, let's get together what we can, our schedules. Uh, it can be just real short. That, that's wonderful. We're discipling one another. And, and, and if the fruit of my message is that there's some context for those outside the church you're just, you're just reading with, then that would be a, a wonderful thing as well. But... Most of all, just don't sit back and just take church in. I would encourage you to be engaged in people's lives and to somehow be involved in the discipling process. God has given so much to each of us. Let's pass it on. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a, a group of people who are making disciple makers. Um, Father, those who will go and make disciples. And I pray for families. I pray for parents to dig into the lives of their kids. God, with just the, the Scriptures and teach them what the Bible says. I pray for husbands and wives to be doing this together. Just digging into what the Bible says. Digging into the Christian life. Reading out loud together. Praying together with one another serving with one another, talking through the issues of life together. I, I, I pray, Lord, that, that we would see families even reaching out to those without Christ and just let the Bible come, God, to, to do its effect. And, and it can be encouraging to us as we read again the Bible we've read before. And it can be eye-opening to others. God, as your Spirit would most graciously move in the lives of people to open their eyes to the glories of Christ. So, Lord, we, we long to be those who take what you give and don't keep it and hoard it for ourselves, but we would, would pass it on. And that you would be with us and to encourage us that you're real, that you do indeed live and act and move within us. And, um, God, that you would be much glorified, that we would be satisfied in you, that we would love you and serve you all of our days. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.